Revolution is not being televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. On 90.7 FM KPFK. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Brittany Gallagher. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture and changing every aspect of our lives. How it's glorious and awe-inspiring, but can also have a dark side and maybe how we can prevent some of its abuses. In this episode, Rick is joined by KPFK's own Brad Friedman to talk about some of the fallout from Super Tuesday and how LA's new voting machines did and about severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2 for short, and how it may affect election 2020. And in the later part of the show, Mandy Roman, a gamer and host, is here to tell us about some games we can play in isolation and some interesting things video game companies are doing in the age of SARS-CoV-2, and also how esports may be taking off. They were saying that, you know, 2019 was this year where esports were not taken seriously. Esports are not real sports. All this argument uh, for or against. And then now we have the year 2020 and it's the only sport. So esports are allowing sports to still somewhat have an audience and thrive. More with Mandy in a bit. Speaking of SARS-CoV-2 and the disease it causes, COVID-19, Dr. June Axup, that's PhD, not MD, she's the scientific director and partner at IndieBio, is back to talk to us about COVID-19 diagnostics, therapeutics, vaccines, and more. Listen to this. Let's talk about the importance of social distancing and why that's particularly important, especially right now. The goal of social distancing is what people are calling flattening the curve. And what that really means is to help with hospital capacity because we only have so many beds, so many ventilators in hospitals who are not queued up for responding to COVID in particular. So the good thing about that is if we can spread out the occurrence of when people get COVID, that hopefully we will keep the hospitals under capacity or at the right capacity to be able to treat everyone. We know only a percentage of people do go into critical conditions and those people are in dire need of hospital assistance. What we've seen obviously with Italy is that they did not have enough hospital capacity and the doctors there are making really hard decisions about who to treat and who not to treat, which has been extremely horrifying to watch. That's the biggest goal of social distancing is really to help with the hospitals. So what are some then diagnostics, right? We're hearing things about people not being able to get tested. What are some diagnostics that are out there that are helping to get tests to people? The other way, um, other than social distancing, to actually help with our whole hospital capacity and and containing this virus is to have better diagnostics. And we see that with countries like Taiwan and Singapore and South Korea that have been really rigorous about doing diagnostics. And as soon as people, when they're even asymptomatic, come up as positive, they're isolated and kept separated from everyone else from spreading the virus. So diagnostics is hugely, hugely important. Unfortunately, in the U.S. today, we don't have a ton of capacity for diagnostics. A lot of that originally was in centralized laboratories, but the FDA and the CDC have allowed 
distributed laboratories or other labs that have certifications to do laboratory testing to spin up tests. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see capacity in the U.S. to come up. However, in this meantime, not everyone is getting tested. Only people who are very seriously ill are getting tested. So that that is the huge bottleneck that the U.S. is experiencing right now. And hopefully as more testing comes up and gets ramped up, then we will be able to contain this and understand the disease progression better. Some of the technologies specifically around the diagnostics that we're seeing, the basic test that everyone is using is called a qPCR test. And it's able to detect the virus. And so that's usually from a throat or nasal swab. We are now also seeing people doing some antibody tests, although oftentimes the antibodies come up later in the process, probably two weeks into the sickness will you start exhibiting antibodies. So they're not super great for detecting early cases of coronavirus. And a lot of people are now working to figure out how do we make these tests more accessible so that you don't have to go to testing facilities. People are doing drive-through testing. A lot of these tests are currently being sent to centralized labs to do the testing, which can take a couple of days. Other people are now, scientists are pushing ahead for tests that can be done on site so that maybe hospitals are able to do testing that can be done in 45 minutes or less. So ramping up that throughput and availability of that test will be super critical. So from diagnostics then, you know, I have COVID-19. What are some therapeutics? We've heard from the White House, uh, there was mention of, of the antimalarial drug, hydroxychloroquine. And there's lots of other things spinning up. What are some therapeutics that you think are interesting? Yeah, as soon as COVID hit, all the biotech companies have went back into their uh, their closets and dust out old drugs that may work for COVID. So some of the different classes include antivirals. One that's pretty promising is remdesivir. And then there's also this antimalarial drug, hydrochloroquine, that has been shown in other nations to be working. A lot of these are still experimental. A lot of these have side effects. Um, but the FDA has allowed a lot of these drugs to be put into, into clinical trials immediately. So that's, that's very exciting news that we're moving on this. And hopefully some of these treatments will, will help. Another one that's kind of radical that people have been looking at is transfusing plasma. So kind of like blood donations, but for people who have been able to overcome the illness, they will have antibodies in their blood that they can transfer potentially to other people. And scientists are also working on developing those antibodies so you don't have to get them from somebody else's blood, but you can get them just from synthetic biology means. So all of those are definitely in the works and, uh, and it's great that these trials are starting. Ultimately, what we want to see though, these are, these are all treatments for if you have the disease. Ultimately, we need to have a vaccine, just like we have vaccines for most other infections these days. The great thing is that the first vaccination for the COVID trials was administered last Monday on March 16th in Washington state. And so while, so this is all moving very, very rapidly, um, a whole bunch of different technologies and different folks are working at different different ways of tackling this. So hopefully that will go through the, the pipeline and get approved. And uh, however, because of the approval process and the, the rigor that needs to happen to make sure that everything is safe, we are still looking about probably in a year to to see a vaccine. Usually it takes yeah, yeah. 10 years to bring a drug to market. So so this has definitely been accelerated because of the urgency. What about some of the things that people are trying to do to help, like helping medical staff get access to personal protective equipment or hackers trying to build devices that can be helpful? Can you talk about some of that? 
It's been really amazing seeing the outcry from individuals. I think a lot of people, engineers, scientists, and and even just people who are you know socially like bringing together communities to try to tackle this problem. And so some of the amazing things we've seen is definitely the outcry from healthcare workers. The fact that masks are in very short supply and these are obviously very critical for their work. And so there's been so many donation efforts from different hospitals and and individuals to pool these resources together for hospital workers. We've also seen places where where kind of hackers like tech people come together to, to try to build new products that can help. Great place to look is covidbase.com. That's a community that's bringing up to try to connect folks with different skill sets to figure out how we can address all kinds of issues during this time. Other tech companies uh, such as Aura Ring, which is a sleep tracker, uh, they just announced that they are using their data partnered with UCSF to track your temperature and breathing over time throughout your sickness in hopes of finding ways to predict onset of sickness early on. I encourage everyone to look within their communities. This is the best time now to reconnect with people virtually um, and try to keep everyone's spirits up. I think that's that's the, the biggest thing. And uh, for some people, it means working on this and, and giving. And uh, for others, it's just taking care of your own loved ones. So this is uh, you know something that we're all in together, the entire world. And that's been extremely powerful right now. And keep that up. That was Dr. Jun Axup, Scientific Director and Partner at Biotech Incubator IndieBio, giving us some insight as to what's being done to tackle the novel coronavirus and the disease it causes, COVID-19. Solidarity in isolation, and a big thank you to all the necessary workers out there in the medical field, truck drivers, delivery people, restaurants, grocery stores, for just being there. Let's remind everyone that you're listening to Digital Village on 90.7 FM KPFK. Up next... Rick Allen is joined by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com and the Bradcast program airing right here on KPFK on Mondays. Welcome, Brad. Hey, Rick. Good to be here. I was reading an article by Dave Dan in the American Prospect on what a debacle the experimental voting system in Los Angeles turned out to be during the March uh, Super Tuesday primary. In the piece, he quoted you frequently Uh, You and I talked about, because of the flaws in the system you noticed Mm -hmm. then, how disastrous that process might be now that you and so many others have voted. I have to ask, did it live up or down to your expectations? Was it as bad as I thought it would be? Is that the question? (laughs) That's it. It it was actually much worse, even. Although, I'll tell you, it wasn't just uh, last year that I was warning about this. It was going back 10 years. I was actually invited to the very first development meeting for the system that is called Voting Solutions for All People, or VSAP. And at the time, I warned about many of the things that went wrong on Super Tuesday here in California with this system. And that might be why I was not invited back thereafter, although I was very polite at the time and was trying to be helpful. But they, uh, Dean Logan, the registrar recorder county clerk here in Los Angeles, at least for the moment while we are talking, uh, he's still the clerk, had a plan he wanted to go with and he stuck with it for 10 years. And well, the mess is what we got on Super Tuesday. And now I don't know what the hell we're going to do come November.
November. I did get a kick out of the article I mentioned with voters screaming profanities at Clerk Dean Logan at just at the following week's Board of uh, Supervisors meeting. So uh, <laughs> basically screaming off with his head. Well, he deserves it. I mean, this is this was just a monumental disaster. And, you know, I think you referred to it as an experimental system. Well, it was a $300 million experiment. This, this was not an experiment. This was a third of a billion dollars put into a system that we knew had flaws in the first place. But even the Secretary of State, Alex Padilla, who was a huge supporter of this system, make no mistake, he is pretending to be outraged since the disaster on Super Tuesday. But he was all in for this thing for years and years. In fact, while he was still a state senator, he championed a law that made this system possible in the first place. He has supported it every step of the way. And even going into Super Tuesday back in January of this year, he went ahead and certified this system even after his own independent testers looked at it and found more than 40 violations of California voting system standards. Wasn't he the guy that repealed the Election Assistance Commission's Mm -hmm. report, the bill that that was showing us a lot more transparency? Yeah, well, it used to be in the state of California that you could not even look at a a voting system here in the state until it had passed muster at the federal level by the Elections Assistance Commission, which does its own federal certification testing. Now, I should note that they do a terrible job at the federal level of testing, but at least it was another layer of testing before California testers ever got to look at it. But Padilla did away with that as as a state senator and gave the power to the Secretary of State as a single person to approve any system they wanted, whether it passed testing, whether it was even tested at all, the Secretary of State has the power to approve those systems now, thanks to Senator Alex Padilla, who then became Secretary of State Alex Padilla with that extraordinary power that he clearly misused this year. Whatever happened to the Voter Choice Act, which uh, it seems like he cherry-picked some things out of it and left things like paper ballots out. Well, so people understand the Voter's Choice Act was essentially a law that now allows counties to send vote-by-mail ballots to every registered voter, and it allows them to move to so-called voting centers at the same time, and that Mm -hmm. basically means that voters can vote at any voting center instead of at their own precinct. (sighs) So um, instead of 5,000 community precincts are here in Los Angeles County. We had 1,000 voting centers, and in theory, you could vote at any of them. That is, if you could find any of them that were actually working. But what carve-out that Los Angeles County was able to get for itself in this Voters' Choice Act was that they were allowed to go to voting centers, but they were not required to send a vote-by-mail ballot to every registered voter in the county. Fifteen other counties in California under the Voters' Choice Act did exactly that. They switched to a a model of voting centers, and then they sent a vote-by-mail ballot to every voter. Only Los Angeles didn't. Mind you, all of this was before the worst of the coronavirus when the more recent elections in uh, Arizona, Florida, they were having trouble getting poll workers to show up at all because hundreds were canceling the day before. They did not want to be in a crowded uh, polling place all day amidst a global pandemic. And this raises some very serious questions about whether these systems can or will or should be used ever again, particularly in the middle of a pandemic 
when uh, it sure seems like asking people to touch a germy touchscreen that hundreds of other people have been touching all day is not a very good idea. Right. Well, let's hope that uh, we get through this way before November. Uh, There are similar voting voting machines in, let's say, Georgia, which Mm -hmm. is the uh, highest reported uh, state with voter suppression. What do they have the Mm -hmm. same BMD type machines there? Yeah, they do. They also have touchscreen ballot marking devices. In many ways, their systems are as bad or arguably worse. And they are, uh, the Republican Secretary of State there is forcing every county in the state to use them again. I don't see uh, how that can actually stand. Georgia recently uh, rescheduled their upcoming primary. They pushed it back by a month or two because of the coronavirus. I don't know how they're going to be able to ask people to go in and use a touchscreen system, but theirs are even worse in that their screens are about two or three times as large. They sit straight up and down. They're really bright with really huge fonts, and they can be seen from 30 or 40 feet across the polling place, which means they violate the uh, state constitutional right in Georgia for a secret ballot, because everyone can see how you vote. And one county recently, Athens-Clark County, decided at the last minute, and this was before they canceled or or postponed the upcoming primary, Athens-Clark County decided we can't use these because these are in violation with Georgia law that requires a secret ballot. We are going to use a hand-marked paper ballot instead, and the county election board voted three to two to move to hand-marked paper ballots. And sure enough, days later, the state came writing in their secretary of state out there, Brad Raffensperger, giving all Brads a bad name. Yeah, I was going uh, to say that. <laughs> yeah, he came in and uh, basically threatened the county with a, a criminal investigation if they did not agree to use the touchscreen voting systems. That's how badly the Republican secretary of state of Georgia wants every county in the state to use these unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, both in the primary coming up, if they ever have it, and in the November elections. Why is he so interested in violating the rights of voters and making sure they vote on unverifiable systems? You will have to ask Brad Raffensperger. But there is uh, a lot of reason to be concerned about uh, Georgia, about L.A. County, about any jurisdiction which requires voters to use these unverifiable touchscreens. Right. What can we all do to right this voting ship before it sinks? I think to some extent, this voting ship may end up uh, writing itself of a sort. One, I know that a lot of people are calling for Dean Logan's head, uh, calling for him to be fired. Uh, In any other situation, I would agree that would be perfectly appropriate. That said, Los Angeles County is the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation. It's about five and a half million registered voters. It's larger than uh, 41 states. And firing the registrar who's been there Boy, I don't know, about 10, 15 years at this point, just months before the most critical presidential election in the history of this nation may not be a good idea. However, if you let them stick around through November, that might be okay, presuming we don't have to use these touchscreen voting systems. And the fact is, at this point, with the coronavirus, I don't currently see how we are going to be able to hold elections this November unless we have all vote-by-mail elections in, frankly, all 50 states. Well, and what we're saying basically is we need Mm -hmm. paper ballots. It's tough to hack a magic market. 
marker, as they say. You need to have hand-marked paper ballots. We may all get them across the entire country because of the pandemic. There are noteworthy concerns, frankly, about vote-by-mail. We can hold that for another show, uh, but I'm hoping that in this rush that many people are making to vote-by-mail that they put in place procedures to take care of some of the concerns that I have there. Okay, on that note, thank you very much, Brad Friedman, for uh, being on Digital Village, following up on our what is turning out to be our 15-year conversation on the voting irregularities. <laughs> that was Rick Allen with KPFK's own Brad Friedman talking election 2020 and how we may be headed to paper ballots after all due to the coronavirus. Let's remind everyone that you're listening to Digital Village on 90.7 FM KPFK. In the last part of the show, I'm joined by gamer and host Mandy Roman to talk about gaming in isolation and more. Listen to this. A lot of us are practicing social distancing right now, where we're not out with our friends, not with them playing board games. One of the benefits that video games represent is that we can play games together but apart. What are some of the games that you think are good for our current quarantine reality? That is a very good question. And something actually I did yesterday was I played Jackbox games uh, with a group of friends and it, it felt like a typical Saturday evening, just we weren't actually in the same room. So uh, Jackbox games, you might have heard of the you know series, you don't know Jack. Well, now they have a whole suite of virtual uh, video games now, and you can buy different packs that include lots of different games. And uh, we played through Discord, which is a chat uh, program, and one person shared their screen, and then we were able to see the screen, and then we just use our mobile devices, our phones, to actually play the game. It was hilarious, a lot of fun, and they actually have one of their games, Drawful, which which is kind of like a Pictionary style game for free, a download for the next two weeks. Uh, you can download that on Steam, on PC. I think that's an excellent pick. I also think Animal Crossing is another good pick. It's not so much doesn't have a huge multiplayer element, but it is very fun to visit each other's homes and islands, if you will. It's a nice escape from this the sad dreariness that is uh, COVID life right now. And uh, it's a very basic collecting game, but you can uh, visit each other's islands and it's a lot of collectibles. So you're collecting fruit and materials to make other things and uh, just enjoying the island life, if you will. Right. And that's but that's only available on the Nintendo Switch, right? That is correct. It is exclusive to Nintendo Switch. What about for people who might not have a console at all? Like, are there any other types of games that you'd recommend? I would just say like any of the like words with friends, that's one of my favorite just like word puzzle games. It's very much like Scrabble, but you can play it with friends and compete against one another. And it's just download it on your phone. There are so many different mobile games that you can play with friends and uh, that are free to play. And they're easily accessible on the, you know, the, the Apple or the Android store. Let's transition a bit, little bit and talk about GameStop. So what was their deal and what happened Sure. So uh, as you, many of you guys know, GameStop is one of the main players in the video game uh, retail marketplace. And a letter came out from their CEO claiming that GameStop was or is an essential business and they would not be closing their stores despite 
every other store that's like GameStop shuttering their doors for the time being. And they quickly had to backtrack on that statement as uh, many states like California, where I'm based out of, said, no, no, you are not an essential business and you must close your doors. And so now they're offering curbside pickup at locations that are still open. So if they're not in California and other states that allow them to kind of, quote, stay open, you can order a game, I guess, through their app and then uh, do a curbside pickup. But Most of us are downloading games digitally anyway, and especially so right now. So I'm not sure it's going to be worth it from a financial perspective for them to even offer this curbside pickup. Let's talk about esports then, because I feel like this is an interesting time for them because you can play them remotely. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there was a great, it was like a meme or some sort of tweet. I don't know who to credit for it, but they were saying that, you know, 2019 was this year where esports were not taken seriously. Esports are not real sports. You know, there's all this argument uh, for or against. And then now we have the year 2020 and it's the only sport. So esports are allowing sports to still somewhat have an audience and thrive. You know, we've had all these traditional sports organizations had to, you know, obviously close their, you know, for this season, but we still have FIFA soccer is still very much alive, very active, and um, they're having full tournaments to raise money for charity online because people can play from their homes. Same case for NHL. So if you guys are looking for hockey content or you're looking for soccer content or traditional games like League of Legends, they're still producing these esports leagues. I saw on Twitter, I follow a couple of League of Legends developers from Riot and they're producing the streams from their homes like this guy's got six different monitors set up on his home desk producing the entire lcs which is absolutely wild to me (laughs) yeah it's amazing what you figure out you can actually end up doing from home yes that is a very true thing (laughs) of course we still need all of those workers who are hard working in the stores all the delivery people i mean they are Obviously, the people in hospitals, too, are our heroes. But there is a surprising amount of stuff that can actually be done from home. And I think that's one of the interesting things we're learning now as well. Absolutely. Yeah. If anyone is interested in watching any of these esports tournaments, you know, whether it's FIFA or what, what have you, uh, Twitch, it's a great place to start. And a lot of it's just right there on the front page. You can literally search by category. If you're just interested in, say, NHL, there is a category for that. Right. So you could watch your favorite NHL team play. Each of the the players are played by someone else. (laughs) Yeah. So one other story that I that's gaming related that uh, I think is pretty interesting is how some companies gaming type companies are coming together to help with shortages. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, So Razer, who is one of the biggest gaming peripheral uh, manufacturers, headsets, mice, keyboards, what have you, they're actually converting uh, quite a few of their production lines over to making uh, face masks. And then um, they're reaching out to local, obviously, hospitals and government agencies and uh, donating up to one million masks to those in need, which I think is pretty amazing, pretty incredible for them. That was Mandy Roman giving us some games to play during isolation. You can join her on her island in Animal Crossing or watch her streams. Just visit Geeky Glamorous on Twitter. We've covered some potential therapeutics for COVID-19 and how important it is to flatten the curve. How Super Tuesday didn't quite go as planned with LA County's new voting machines. And how COVID-19 could affect the election. We can get through this. 
That's it for this week's edition of Digital Village. I'm Brittany Gallagher at In a Quantum World. You can hear this episode again by subscribing to our podcast or going to kpfk.org, click audio archives and search for Digital Village. You can follow us on all things social using at Digital V Radio or at digitalvillage.org. A special thank you to Dr. June Axup, Brad Friedman, and Mandy Roman. KPFK is 100% listener-sponsored. You can donate now and keep glorious, independent, listener-sponsored radio alive by going to kpfk.org forward slash pledge. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen, and we'll we'll see see you online. online.